Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. At this point in his career, Eric Andre is almost a household name. He was in that last Jackass movie. He made a prank movie of his own called Bad Trip. If you haven't seen that, it is hilarious. He even played Azizi, the hyena, in The Lion King. He is also the host of The Eric Andre Show. It was his first big project starting in 2012, and it's coming back in June on Adult Swim. The Eric Andre Show is a talk show, but it is almost a reverse talk show, by which I mean this. Usually, the point of a talk show is to make guests comfortable. Eric Andre's greatest pleasure seems to be to make those guests squirm or make the audience squirm. Great talk show hosts are always in control, and Eric Andre always seems to be veering off a cliff. I talked to Eric Andre a decade ago when The Eric Andre Show was brand new. At the top of every episode, there's a montage of Andre literally deconstructing his set, (laughs) destroying it with his body. Also, eating glass, spitting blood, just sort of freaking the heck out while a jazz combo plays the show's opening theme song. Ladies and gentlemen, the Eric Andre Show! Okay. Eric Andre, welcome to Bullseye. It's great to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So this is like a defining characteristic of your television program. You flinging yourself into things and physically hurting yourself and destroying... I'm sacrificing my my body for comedy. Everything around you. Laying it out on the line. Where did this where did this part of uh of the show come from? I don't know. I think uh I don't know what like the spark of inspiration was. I'm like a big I was a big Gigi Allen fan in uh high school and like I was into Jackass and the CKY videos that those guys made beforehand and um I was into bad brains uh, and just like going to punk shows and stuff like that. So maybe from that, I don't know. Had you ever done it on stage before you did it for the pilot of the show? Yeah, I did the show live. The first time I did the show, my friend had a a comedian friend of mine had a residency at uh, this place in Tribeca in New York called, I think it was called The Tank. And for February, he's black, and he did, like, a Black History Month comedy uh, residency for the month. And uh, that was one of the uh, all, all black performers. So he had, like, uh, I got to debut the show, the live show there, 2008. Um, and everybody, 
there was just kind of doing stand up and doing their thing. And then I came out and destroyed the whole stage and poured ketchup and mustard down. I had like a bikini bottom on. <laughs> and I poured ketchup and mustard down my pants. Ketchup and mustard yeah. is, are also big characters on the television yeah. show. There's this performance artist, Paul McCarthy, um, who does a lot of stuff with ketchup and mustard. And there's like a lot of homages <laughs> To him throughout the series. He's awesome if you can ever find any of his videos. <laughs> I mean, when you do this on when you did this on stage for television, I presume you have, you know, this isn't a huge budgeted television program, but you've probably got a prop master or whatever that's called. Yeah. A guy who's in charge of like sawing a little notch into the table yeah, so it breaks department. in a particular way. Yeah, yeah, our art department's awesome. They're the best. When you're on stage at a comedy theater in Tribeca, um, there's probably just regular stuff on oh, the stage. Oh, yeah, I like sliced the bottom of my foot open and I at the beginning of the show and I had no idea. I had like so much adrenaline going. I had no idea till way after the show I looked down and like all this blood was in my shoe. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, what did I, I don't even remember doing that or what I did that. But uh, there was no, when I was doing it in those days, there was no, it was just me. So I was just like, I, you know, shopping at Kmart the day of buying all like the ketchup and mustard and all the props and stuff. And uh, nobody at the venue knew what I was going to, I didn't want to tell anybody at any <laughs> venue what I was going to do because they would say no. So, I mean, what it feels like when, and you can tell me if this is, if this is actually true, what it feels like when you do that on the television show is your, your character on the show is so uncomfortable, so nervous, doing such a terrible job overall mm -hmm. that it feels like a, it feels like an expression of stage fright like it feels yeah, like something that it is. is totally uh it's all nervous energy people ask like i did jimmy fallon and i was like jumping all over the place and somebody tweeted like did this guy do a mountain of cocaine before he went out on stage and i was like no i'm just so nervous until i like hyperventilate my way through life i just have kind of it's just like it, life is just moments between panic attacks so it's just coping with my nerves that's why my stand-up's really high energy and i'm really loud and stuff like that because i'm just terrified have you always have you always been that way yeah always i slept in my parents bed till i was 10 years old i was just nervous <laughs> i thought aliens were gonna zap beam themselves into my closet and abduct me because i saw fire in the sky when i was like a little kid and it like affected me. I couldn't watch Chucky or Friday the Thirteenth. Plus, in the eighties, there was just like a slew of horror movies. Horror movies just like got in a groove, and my friends were constantly watching them. And I'd watch like five minutes of them, and I'd just be a nervous wreck. Where did you grow up? Boca Raton, Florida. Oh, Boca Raton! I've yeah. been to Boca Raton. Yeah. Beautiful country. Yeah, <laughs> where old people go to die. It's God's waiting room. How did you feel about living in Boca Raton when you were a kid? Uh. You know, when you're a kid, you live anywhere. You don't. You're kind of like oblivious. I mean, once you once I became a teenager, I realized that it's like the most lame, boring place on earth. I had no idea why my parents chose to live there. My mom's from New York, uh, and I was just like itching to get out of there. But I don't. I think it made me appreciate like 
cities and places with culture more because I was such in like I was in such a bland, homogenized town. Did it make you appreciate madness and destruction more? Uh, maybe because I was so bored. My friend, uh, my buddy Devin, used to do vandalism night with his friends. <laughs> they <would> do, <laughs> every Thursday, they go out and knock over mailboxes. And like graffiti schools and stuff like that. When I think of um, when I think of you know junior punk rockers, people that grew up loving Gigi Allen, mm-hmm. um, I don't necessarily think of you know city kids that go to galleries with their parents yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I think of kids who are just so stultified that they gotta just explode on something. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe if I grew up in New York, it'd be like a boring. Dork, which I am now. One of the great parts of the Eric Andre show is your interplay with Hannibal Burris, who is your sidekick. And yeah, you are, as we described, as as nervous and active and yelly as a person on television can be. Probably more mm-hmm. than a person on television yeah. can be. Hannibal, just as he is in his day-to-day life, at least when I've interacted with him, his scale of of activeness slash intensity goes from about, goes from zero to maybe three out of 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why he's the best co-host. It's like the perfect odd couple relationship. Uh, and I knew he's been part of the show since the very beginning, since I like was doodling sketches of the show, you know, on my laptop. Um, he's always been a part of it um, years ago for Five years, I think I've I've had the idea. So um, I just knew he was perfect because uh, he's just like on this. He's very creative and on the same wavelength as me creatively. He's kind of out there, and he was he had his own point of view and personality. But he's just like polar opposite in energy. So I thought he'd be perfect. He'd ground the whole show. I could be even crazier because he's there and he's like the voice of reality and speaking for the audience and. He's just perfect. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, Eric Andre, is the host of The Eric Andre Show on Adult Swim. Here's a bit from this show. It's in the mode of the traditional crazy newspaper headline segment of a late-night TV talk show. Oh, cool. Um, But it's a little bit different as uh, Eric shows a variety of newspaper headlines, including one that that looks like it might be in, in Arabic. It's time for some wacky newspaper articles. Killer's maps lead to victims' remains. What are we on a scavenger hunt, folks? It's a dark story, man. Yeah, I don't know if you should talk about it like that. Look at this one. Pastor's daughter struck as gun accidentally goes off. Hey, guys, at least we can leave church a little early and catch the rest of the football game. Am I right, fellas? I don't know if I like being associated with this. Oh, what do we got here? Brata, 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 can't understand a word of it. It's my higher proofreader, guys. Come on. Let's be a little professional. This is riffing. <laughs> we should be writing instead of riffing. That was a misstep. You think so? All of it. What do you mean? This is pretty lowbrow. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. Hey, remember when I did those jokes before? Yeah. Tight, right? No, I just told you that I didn't like that.
Um, I almost get scared for you when you do something on the show that's very wrong, and then Hannibal describes that it is wrong. Yeah, that's why we can get away with it because he's the he's he's the voice of reason. It's an intense it's an intense situation when he says when he says that's a dark story. <laughs> yeah, he uh, can't do the show without him. We've got much more to get into with Eric Andre. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Eric Andre. He is a comedian and actor who has starred in Bad Trip, The Righteous Gemstones, and Man Seeking Woman. He's also the genius behind the sketch comedy talk show, The Eric Andre Show. That program kicks off its sixth season on June 4th. You can catch it on Adult Swim. Let's get back into our conversation. Tell me about how you um, brainstorm the ideas for these sort of uncomfortable deconstructions of what happens on a talk show. Uh, we had a week uh, where we hired um, some creative consultants, um, some fantastic writers. We got um, Tommy Blotcha, the creator for Metalocalypse. Uh, we got Derek Beckles, who made um, – um, have you ever seen TV Carnage? No. This guy made a um, uh, oh, there's there's like five or six volumes now of uh, oh this a is mixtape of the worst television ever. It's like a masterpiece. It's amazing, and he's got a new show coming out on Adult Swim. Um, Dan Curry is my old writing partner. Uh, Lizzie Cooperman, very funny comedian. Josh Fadum, uh, Eric Money Penny, um, um, Ellie, um, who who uh, worked at Absolutely, she was a writer's assistant. Um, uh, and Hannibal, obviously, yeah, all comedic comedians, comedic writers, um, and we. Uh, I had a bunch. I had this idea for so long. I had like million ideas too, but I wanted to flesh out the ideas I had and um come up with new stuff so i think i think this is definitely the bit where we just played is definitely one we came up in, with in the writer's room um but they were the best they were like the best group of people to brainstorm with let's talk about your process of creating this show yeah i i don't know where the first where the first idea was maybe it was 6 years ago i remember the first time i pitched it to somebody was december of 06 i uh what were you pitching then I, I, it was the ramblings of a madman. I had like an 11 page, maybe like a 10 page script. No, I don't even think it was a script at that point. Maybe I can't, actually, maybe I, I pitched it to my manager first and she was like, okay, you need to flesh it out more. So I wrote it and I sent it to her and she still didn't quite get it. And I, and then that's when I knew I needed to film it. And then I pitched it to, um, this woman, Demona Resnick, who, uh, I was the head of the um, NBC Stand Up for Diversity program. It's a, uh, I don't want to say a competition, but, um, you know, you go all the way to the finals in your city, then you go to the national finals in Los Angeles. They fly, flew me out. I went all the way to the national finals in Los Angeles. They flew me out. And it was me and eight other comics, and we performed for industry. It was like, it becomes, it turns into, a, it's an industry showcase, essentially. Um, so I pitched it to her, and she told me kind of what I was already thinking, like, you know, you're going to have to do this live or shoot it on your own. Um, and so 
I was started doing commercials and saving up some money from the commercials I was doing. And uh, uh, I got a couple friends of mine, and we rented out this little abandoned bodega, and we shot like a seven-minute demo reel uh, in 2009. Um, and I had to teach myself how to edit Final Cut. Uh, which took me like a year. So what did you, it. what did you care about? Why did you care about this particular thing enough to not just pay for, you know, making a little pilot presentation with your own money, but also to not want to have just a guy, you know, who knows how to edit video, edit it for I, you. I would have loved to. I ran out of money shooting the, shooting the thing. Like I had to pay for the bodega we rented out, all the props, the equipment. I paid for all of it. So, I would have happily paid an editor, but I I was just broke. I capsized my I capsized my bank account paying for production. So I was like, plus there was such like a mass, just like this blob of footage, and like barely anything was like written out. Like I knew like if I gave it to an editor, it would have been a frustrating process. They wouldn't have known what to like what I quite wanted, and it was like very specific and nuanced so i was like i have to do this on my own i have to just man up and do it on my own so what did you want what was your vision uh it's pretty close to the original demo i mean like the only thing we had in the yeah what you're seeing now is pretty much my vision what 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 um got cut we had sketches originally just sketches completely out of character it became it was way more variety show than talk show and the network really wanted talk show um they hadn't had a talk show since space ghost i think they just did sketch with tim and eric so they were just like they really wanted to get away from sketch and get get back into talk show they were they're were excited about that so that was the only thing that got ditched and how I played my character, I was a little more um, cartoony and more of a caricature in the demo reel. And the network wanted me to dial that back and kind of ground the show and be a little bit more myself, which in the long run is great because I think the show would have been too crazy. I look at the old demo reel and I cringe at some of my performance. Um, I mean, I, can, I have a hard time imagining you dialing something back into what well, you have now. dialing back by... Just the way I would perform before it was, it was, I can be as crazy as I want as long as it looks like I'm genuinely crazy and it's coming from a real place. Before it was like sketch comedy and a little cartoony and mugging and winking at the camera. It's like a subtle, it was just that, that's the difference. I can be crazy just as long as it's like, it's coming from a real crazy place. Um. Uh. Yeah, I completely forgot what I was going to say. Did I answer your question? I don't even remember what the question was. <laughs> you have guests on the show, um, including both uh, real uh, celebrities. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, occasionally, I was just watching an episode in which you introduced Arnold Schwarzenegger, and it was... Uh, Bruce Valanche, yeah. the comedy writer, yeah, um, famous for writing jokes for all of the entertain the Hollywood award shows, yeah, um, riding in on one of those scooters, rascal. a rascal yeah, scooter, yeah, yeah. and just yelling, yeah, and then running you over with the rascal scooter, yeah. 
So tell me about it, when you decided to make this a talk show, mm-hmm. you have all these crazy off the wall elements, but then there are parts that are a talk show. Yeah. So how do you gauge what works in that context of you sitting at a desk and someone sitting in a chair, even when you're feeding it to the audience in 90 second, two and a half minute chunks? How do we gauge what? What that is going to be. We don't know. It's all experimentation. I mean, you never know. And some of the some of the bits you're most excited about are total duds and some of the bits that you're like, yeah, we can do this bit last minute real quick. Those turn out to be the best bit. Like we got a bit called Touch a Stranger's Hand Day where I just sit at a bus stop and I put my hand lightly on strangers' hands and they react. And I, I wrote that bit on a cocktail napkin and crayon. You know what I mean? That was such like a last, not a last minute bit, but just like, a, yeah, let's crap this out in the morning and then move on and shoot six other things. And that bit got such a huge response. Anyway, circle back to your question. You don't know. Uh, it's all experimentation. Um, we shoot each one of those interviews for like 45 minutes and we whittle it down to 90 seconds. So you're seeing the best selects out of a 45-minute marathon interview. We'll finish up with Eric Andre after a quick break. When we return, how uncomfortable can a talk show be? Well, Eric Andre has spent the last decade searching for the answer. He's a bold innovator with an uncompromising vision, and the set of his show is very, very stinky. He will give us his stink tips in just a minute. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. I'm Jordan Cruciola, the host of Feeling Scene, where we talk about the movie characters that make us feel seen. And I'm the show's producer, Marissa. Jordan, you've interviewed so many directors, actors, writers, film critics, and I like to play this little game where I take a sip of coffee every time someone says, that's such a great question. That's such a fabulous question. Or they tell you how smart you are. I think that you are rather brilliant. And of course, the big one is, when, when they, they cry, cry unexpectedly. unexpectedly. Yes, yes. Jordan, I don't want to cry on your podcast. I wasn't expecting to <laughs> cry. I mean, it makes me kind of want to cry. <sighs> Feeling Seen comes out every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. Listen already. What are you waiting for? Jordan, that's such a great question. <laughs> I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is comedian and actor Eric Andre. He's the creator and host of The Eric Andre Show. It returns for its sixth season, June 4th. What's it like when you have, um, you know, a person who is a, you know, genuine celebrity? I was just watching Tatiana Ali mm-hmm. um, on stage with you, and you are acting like a crazy person. Uh, yeah. Well, do you prep them? What, how, to prep, what extent do you prep, prep them, them? As little as possible. Like, we got to be diplomatic about it. We can't have people running back to their publicists. But we want, like, genuine fear and <laughs> genuine confusion coursing through people because we don't That's want, what every talk show host wants. Yeah, <laughs> we want, like, the opposite of a comfortable experience. And we want them to be genuinely uncomfortable so that they're not playing along or mugging for the camera because then it will just turn into sketch comedy and nothing will be at risk and it won't feel dangerous. We want them to be. Jen, we like, we had this thing called the the hot seat. We uh, we had this hidden heat duct that uh, 
that linked up to the back of Hannibal's chair, and we had carpeting over it so you couldn't see it. And when the guests would sit down, we would turn it for certain guests we would turn it on so that they'd be sweltering so that they'd just be like really hot and like slowly heat was like pumping into the into the chair we also had um we also did the meat seat where we would put like old clams underneath the chair so that it would just start reeking we'd have the art department like sneak like throw old clams underneath the chair during the interview while the guest wasn't paying attention so that it would just like stink in the in the studio and it would just be like unexplained so we wanted like palpable. Those are things that you can't necessarily you can't see directly on television. I mean, I like that you have Meat Seat as a name, yeah, as though it's a bit that you're doing on yeah, the show. No, no, we had a not. lot of things. We had a lot. <laughs> That's of just things. a weird thing that you thought of to torture a celebrity. Yeah, no, yeah, we were just torturing people. Uh, it was really sadistic. We um... celebrities who, by the way, are generally being quite sweet about the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, we thank everybody afterwards. We send them flowers, which maybe that might be even more psychological torture but uh to be really nice and send people flowers out um but um that was like the only way to get like that was the maybe not the only way but the best way to get a genuine uh performance out of people just to make just to ensure that they wouldn't play along or mug for the camera or you know um um and it was just more fun that way. With the George Clooney impersonator, we had wardrobe put thermals on under his turtleneck so he'd be sweltering. And we were pumping the heat seat. And we made him do the coffee challenge where he slams like an entire big gulp of coffee. And then right after that, which got cut, which didn't make the edit, he slams a tall boy of Red Bull right after that. So he was like jacked. And in the in the interview, it's like played out of order, but like he did all that stuff at the top. And then we made, he doesn't do stand-up. We made him do stand-up right at the top, which is one of the most nerve-wracking things for a performer. So we just wanted him to like be completely in full panic attack mode, which is my homage to panic attacks in general. I, um, so, yeah. I, so, I, what I wonder is if you're trying to take... Oft, I mean, uh, the George Clooney impersonator, a, a less professional performer, but still a professional performer. But, you know, Tatiana Ali is a slick lady, and you're trying to recreate in them some something that you are feeling. Yeah, 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 totally. Uh, you know what? Well, we told her at the beginning, I was like, I was like, you know, I play like this insane, rude, um, um, inappropriate talk show host the show kind of exists in its own universe i'm just paying a playing a madman that's that's pretty much that's the speech that we give people in the green room um and then i'm just like and do whatever you want um, no, no but, mention oh, of the clams under their seat no though. mention of the clams under the seat we also don't mention to people she told me afterwards that the thing that made her most uncomfortable they think it's like happening in real time like a real talk show so they think the interview is five to 10 minutes max, you know, not even eight minutes max. So, but the interview just goes on endlessly. It's like one giant 45 minute take. So that also makes the guest really uncomfortable because they're just like, they see no end in sight. It's just like this endless barrage of madness. Um, uh, so yeah, we try to tell every guest very little because we want all the, we want everything to be a surprise. You know what I mean? So, 
Here's yep. the thing. Your show is uh, your show is in part produced by uh, the folks who make the, the Tim and Eric show. Yeah, it's their production company. Absolutely. Tim and Eric's show is, uh, you know, they're very popular comedians with their with a show called Tim and Eric Awesome Show. Great mm-hmm. job, among mm-hmm. others. And their comedy always feels to me like it is one step. It is discomfort as portrayed from one step back. Mm-hmm. You know that it is. It's that kind of discomfort that you get when you watch an industrial film <laughs> yeah. that's poorly acted, or yeah, totally. You know, you see something that just seems a little weird and wrong. Totally. Um, your show has plenty of discomfort, but it feels like it's coming from inside you. Yeah, no, it is. That's a good observation. It absolutely is. And it also feels like you're trying to impose it on everyone around you. Yeah. Yep. Totally. It's just a just a cloud of discomfort uh, emanating from my core. Um, but Tim and Eric were great. It was working working with that crew is the best because they had all these tricks that they learned from Awesome Show. There's a trick. I actually shouldn't say what the code. We have a code word for when we roll cameras on. Um, people when they don't know when they think we're just setting up some lighting or stuff like that and we'll use a lot of that footage because you will get people just sitting in the chair like we got one guy like notice his fly was down and he's like sipping it up or like or like kind of subtly picking their nose stuff like that where they don't think the camera's on <laughs> like use those as a, like a response we'll like work in editing later <laughs> so uh, or we'd film rehearsals um and use that as the take because People are not in their performing mode. They're like sitting in a chair, looking at the sides. Um, so, um, so why we learned a lot of stuff from them. When you do all of these things, why are you not a terrible person? Oh, I am a terrible person. I'm going straight to hell after the show. <laughs> but it, I, I will sacrifice my um, afterlife for this show. Well, Eric, thanks for joining us on Bullseye. It was great to have thanks you. Thanks so much for ha- having me. Was I just like the boring, most boring guest you ever had? I don't know. It's going to be delightful. I'm really dialed down today. I don't know if I should have been hamming it up or We edit this all on. down to 90 seconds. Okay, great. <laughs> and there's uh, clams, rotten clams in my chair. <laughs> Perfect. My conversation with Eric Andre, recorded in 2012. The sixth season of The Eric Andre Show is on Adult Swim on June 4th. If you've never seen The Eric Andre Show, you owe it to yourself. It is really something special. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. Here at my house, the big news is that I just found a nice dentist who took, takes my insurance, uh, and he's only one neighborhood away, which is basically a flawless victory. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellow at Maximum Fun is Brianna Paz. We get booking help from Merritt Davis. Our interstitial music is by DJW, also known as Dan Wally. Our theme song is Huddle Formation, written and recorded by The Go Team. Thanks to The Go Team. Thanks to Memphis Industries, their label. Bullseye is on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. You can follow us in any of those places. Uh, And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. 
Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.